Hey, Gwithaint here again. Uh, this time I'm listening to the album Kobold, by, which is another dungeon synth piece. And as I am trying to recover a hit point myself, having had surgery just recently, um, I'm going to talk about the hit point system in GURPS versus that in um, more common level-based games. Now, I'm also trying to decide, shuffle between um, five points of chronic pain and reduced move. I'm going to see if I can trade it off for the quirk level version. I got six to eight weeks, according to my doctor, to see if I come up with enough character points to pay that off. Um, in... There has always been a question about how many hit points something has and what they mean when you figure that probably the amount of hit points you have at first level is really all it takes to kill you. One good sword thrust to the chest and you're pretty much done. Um, and that holds true for anybody. Now, let's say you're... 10th level fighter who's got 90 hit points. Um, what that's supposed to represent is that um, is luck and fatigue and your ability to convert hits to things that don't damage you but wear you down a little bit where you're not actually being wounded. And then eventually as the fight goes on and you get kind of tired and you've been through it all and you can't hold your own anymore, that's when you end up getting that strike that requires you to make a death save. And you start dropping into the negatives. And Gerpsa kind of holds to that. You have got hit points equal to your strength, maybe as much as one and a half times that value higher, and the absolute maximum human can have is... 20 strength and 30 hit points. That's a considerable amount when you consider that the average horse has got about 23 strength. And the average ogre, not an Olympic specimen like the human would be at 20 strength, but the average ogre who's 9 feet tall and weighs 600 pounds has got about um, 20 strength and 23 hit points. That's an awful lot. But there's a whole other subsystem to combat that explains how durable um, a highly skilled combatant is going to be. There are secondary skills. Um, first off, um, your weapon skill is a skill. It's like having a low to hit number if you have a higher level in something. Yeah, GURPS is all based on 3d6 with an average roll of 10 and an average skill of 10. But a professional swordsman would have something like a 14 or better. An exceptional redonkulous swordsman would have something like a 20 in skill. Your ability to parry is equal to half that value, plus three, possibly plus a bonus for having uh, combat reflexes, which most fighter types have. That sounds like an awful lot of math, but 
you only have to do it during Chargen. When you're laying out your character for the first time, you just set these values, and they don't change unless you improve. So it's kind of like the adjustments that you make when leveling up. But otherwise, you don't have to do any math in-game. Did I roll under the number? Yes or no? That's all you have to figure. For initiative, who's got the highest base movement speed? You got a 6, you got a 6.5, he's got a 7, monster's got a 5, got the 7 goes first, monster goes last. It's that simple. Just comparing numbers. The amount of math that happens mm, might take 5 minutes. There's a little arithmetic. Nothing really complicated. It's like choosing a path for your character. Or trying to decide which set of feats you're going to have. But how does it add up? All right, a guy who's got a 16 skill and sword hits about 94% of the time. What does that mean? What is he hitting? Well, you're not hitting against armor class. You're hitting something the size of a human being. Hitting a target that's two and a half feet wide and six feet tall. Somewhere. Now, what does armor do? Armor absorbs damage. If you're wearing chainmail, it absorbs four points of damage. Two if it's blunt force, because that's flexible armor. If you're wearing a decent suit of plate mail, it absorbs six off of every hit. Now, if you consider that damage in GURPS is calculated based on your strength, not based on your weapon modified by your strength, but it's based on your strength modified by your weapon. And there's two numbers for it. One is thrust damage. Like if you haven't been a security guard, I take my spring baton and poke you with the tip. That's thrust damage. Roughly twice that amount is how much I would do if I would extend the baton, raise it over my head, and swing and hit you with the side. That's swing. Now, why would someone do thrust instead of swing? There are three dam... There are basically three damage types. There's a whole bunch of small ones called and varieties of piercing that are usually come up when you're dealing with things like um, firearms and flechette weapons and things like that that do progressively smaller amounts if you're shooting somebody with BBs versus trying to hit him with a 38. But let's just stick to the primary ones that you encounter in melee. You've got crushing, which my baton would do, You've got impaling, which a pointy sword or spear or dagger would do. And you've got cutting, which an axe or the side of the sword would do. Now, some, a weapon about two feet long is optimal for giving your full thrust and swing damage. A short sword does an unmodified thrust impale or swing cut. Now, what's the difference between these damage types? Impaling, without getting into special area hits, which is an optional thing, because you can do that randomly, you can do it targeted. Um, thrust to the torso with an impaling weapon does double damage after you get past the armor. A thrusting weapon with a stick, or the blunt end of something, just does flat damage after it gets through armor. Cutting does one and a half. Now, it still sounds a lot of, like a lot of complicated things to do, but 
Now, usually the DM handles it. How much do you roll? You're not telling the person how good the armor your opponent is. In case you're trying to conceal that it's magical, you do the math. And it's just a simple subtraction. So, and heavier armor slows your movement rate down, which affects your dodge, which makes you effectively easier to hit, but harder to damage. So how are we getting um, back to the, those virtual hit points that, that represent missed chances and whatnot? All right, if I've got a 16 as my skill, which is not surprising in most of the combat-oriented characters to have. Then my parry is half my sword skill plus three. Let's say I don't have combat reflexes and just roll with that. So my skill is an 11. I have a 50% chance, 55% chance of blocking any shot that comes towards me if I'm fighting defensively. Now, if I, want, if I wanted to forego that, and push everything into an attack that you could see coming and really laid into it, yeah, that would be, um, I'd get a bonus to my attack, and I'd have no defense, and I'd just have to rely on you missing me. But if you're just as good as me, I'd be, it would be best to be at least partially defensive. Now, GURPS combat rounds have a lot of options, which can be distilled very simply. And to are you giving doing an all-out attack, an all-out defense, something mixed, or are you trying to do two other things at once? But the combat round is one second, so the amount of things you can do is really kind of limited. Now this makes Bowman really something, as without special advantages, it takes three seconds to get an arrow out, one to draw the arrow, two to draw the bow three to fire that's without aiming but you still get out 20 times as many sh 20 shots per minute which can make a bowman pretty lethal providing he's got enough strength to penetrate the armor now what do you do in the case of somebody who's got that heavy plate armor well, let's say your thrust is less than 1d6 with the bow you're not going to penetrate it at all the arrows are just going to bounce off this is what the benefit of high skill comes into. And this is sort of the way old D&D used to be before you had advantage and disadvantage versus something, was that you would actually add up all the bonuses. So there's penalties for how far away you're shooting from and how small the target is. Your base number to roll is based on hitting something the size of a person. You want to hit something the size of an eyeball, it's minus 10. On the other hand, almost nobody's eyeballs got armor. For that matter, you penetrate the eye with an arrow, you're pretty much hitting the brain. And aside from leaving somebody with one eye, that does quadruple damage. Mostly killing people. Although I did have a circumstance where somebody shot an arrow for two points of damage and it knocked, took out eight points of this guy's hit points, leaving him at three. Now, Going below 50% of your hit points slows your move. Going below 30 of your hit points slows your move again. So what did it mean? Guy got shot in the eye. Not only was he half blind, but he was crawling on his hands and knees. There's some serious effects. So anyway, here I am um, trying to recover my one hit point. And 
dealing with that. Now, it's not taking me a short rest to get this back. It's edging on two or three days, but it's, I'm dealing more with pain and mobility issues. Um, I look at the, I, the, the circumstances of how much healing slapping bandages can get put on people. It always made me question the whole business of eating food to recover or using a med kit and, and playing a game like Dune. I understand magical healing. Hey, that fixes things right like they were before. I mean, if you follow um, critical failures, it hurts when it happens. Um, which is kind of what's going on right now. Um, but the other day I was talking about what happened with the wounded man and um, that archer who had a bad knee. I've had a couple other characters who have had some severe injuries that didn't kill them. Like for one thing, we've got um, out of the assorted classes of demons you can run into. And I do use them a lot simply because I don't have to worry about the environmental effects of them, aside from making the area unpleasant. You don't have to worry about them having food and water and things like that as opponents. You know, when, exactly when you, when you break into the tomb that no one's been in, how is shit still living in there? which leads me to have a lot of constructs uh, creeping about if it's an area that doesn't have a system. Now, the current dungeon I'm working on is um, sort of inspired in part by Cormall from um, some of the Fritz Lieber stories, where there was a great underground complex that, was, that had air circulation that was handled by slaves walking on treadmills and things like that and was in a defense was an inapproachable fortress which you know kind of runs into being a decent mega dungeon and then this was written in ages ago so it predecesses um the majority of our other sources um so i've got a fair amount of movement going on down there and it makes a bit of sense it's sort of like the way um You've got magical air creation happening in um, Stonehell Dungeon. So I've got some characters currently approaching an area where there's an exhaust fan blowing. Um, but back to the demon who took an injury. The party did it some good blows, but it had the ability to go ethereal. So it ran off to nurse its wounds. They run into it again. It's, you know, missing an eye. It's got a, a deep gouge in it. That ended up showing up in my bundle of demonic stock art. Um, to put a link into them when I repost this. Um, but I've gotten... I, I started playing GURPS when it was man-to-man. -man. So I've been playing since 88 or so. And I've gotten very used to the roll-under. Um, every move is countered. Kind of like every spell has a saving throw, but it also has two components to it. Like if you are creating a missile spell, it's it's a very um, Dragon Ball kind of thing when you first raise the energy and then you try to aim at your opponent. So there's two roles going on there. One's to cast a spell and then the second one to target your opponent. Um... And then your opponent can dodge. Or depending on the type of um, spell, resist it, or what have you. 
It was a nifty one in um, third edition magic called uh, Curse Missile that let you take any body afflicting spell and stick it in there and use that as a weapon. Um, the current version is um, you need to have a meta magic spell called Throw Spell, and that allows you to pitch a um, touch only affecting spell at someone. One of the other um, peculiarities of the system is that um, there's a magical piece of equipment that you can get fairly cheaply, and it's a um, it has to be an organic object, can be just about any size, that has the spell staff cast onto it, and that allows a wizard to use a touch-based spell by poking somebody with a stick. Um, and it's kind of useful if you're like, you know, trying to poke through bars to get at something, as well as if um, the thing you're touching has got negative touch effects. Now, not having levels, the game doesn't have level draining. Which was always an accounting nightmare, but it made a lot of sense going back to the older roots of the game, where you were just shifting, downshifting category, and there wasn't a whole hell of a lot of record-keeping pertinent to what was going on between one level and the next. Going back to Chainmail, it was like moving from hero to, to fighting man was just a simple step. Um, when you got past to uh, second edition, there was a lot of complicated shit you had to figure out. And when we had a DM, we knew we used a lot of level draining creatures. We made a point of having, um, keeping our old character sheets and rewriting them at the level and passing the old one. That way we at least knew there wasn't going to be a long protracted argument about um, how your hit points had changed and whether or not you were you were... You had higher hit points at the previous level than what the DM said you did. But back in the day when there was less record keeping, that was one thing. Now, level drain, uh, energy drain in GURPS is a bit different. Now, you've got four basic stats strength, IQ, dex, and um, health. Health is great. Most of your resistance rolls are based on that. You have, um, and you have a just the way hit points are based off of strength, off of health, you have fatigue. Fatigue is what you power spells with, and it's also what allows you to keep fighting. If you're fighting for more than a minute, you lose a point of fatigue. If you've been climbing up a mountain, you lose fatigue. If you're running at top speed, you lose fatigue. That's all well and good. You can sit down for a few minutes and recover it, unlike hit points. The problem is, though, is that um, creatures with negative plane affiliations are the equivalent or that have chilling touch, um, they do fatigue damage. And while their actual damage might not penetrate your armor, the fatigue damage does. So, and so what's the point? You can carry on with a whole bunch of fatigue. You get hit two or three times like that, it'll knock you out. And while you're after you're unconscious, it starts draining hit points. So this allows something like a white to take out someone who's wearing heavy armor who otherwise wouldn't be affected. We had a, in my game, we had someone who was playing an ogress, and the ogress was a barbarian ogress. She had 27 strength. She was 12 feet tall and absolutely ridiculous to try to get around. She wasn't allowed in the city um, and had to 
had to be escorted outside the city if she tried to enter and so was going off on an adventure and dealt with a bunch of whites and they were clawing at her and could not get through her hide and she had a barbarian effect that effectively gave her um, damage resistance to about five points so they were not hurting her but they nearly knocked her out and were a threat that way because they could have killed her and then she would have turned into a giant white that the party would have had to fight I already had enough issue turning uh, with an undead earth elemental that some people had to deal with um, now one thing that ended up coming up with um, my game was I was building whites off of the AD&D model where they can only be harmed by particular weapons now the dungeon fantasy role-playing game built a, a an advantage for monster types to have where they get reduced damage effect unless it's a specific type and it's a real tight little thing and essentially um, fire magic will do normal damage and anything else does half I was working with a different set of resistances that were in the basic books and had given them unkillable with the Achilles heel of silver or magic weapons which meant you could burn them but they keep going they just be on fire um, and well as I said you only start out with your health your strength level of hit points um, you don't necessarily die when you get to zero. You don't even necessarily fall unconscious. If you can keep making health rolls, you'll stay both a conscious and alive when you ordinarily should be dead until you get to a particular threshold. At minus five times your original hit points, you're dead. At minus ten times your initial hit points, there is not enough left for a DNA lab to reconstruct you. You're just gone. There's nothing to resurrect. Um, and you'd have to bring, um, things that have unkillable, you'd have to beat down to minus five hit points to, um, minus five times their original hit points, which for the whites was something like a hundred points of damage, um, before they'd stop getting up. And that wouldn't actually kill them, they'd just be kind of in torpor, um, and regenerate a hit point a day so they take about three months to get back up off the ground to be a problem again um, kind of a natural restocking mechanism now the group I had fighting them could have certainly done that much damage if they really concentrated on it but they did have one or two they had two people with magic weapons who were going down and beating them down um, one was using a weapon that was actually holy so they took extra damage from that um, but I, I had applied that template to um, some poisonous spined rats, kind of like really angry porcupines, and that made a, that that was disastrous. Those things were almost unkillable. I had the party go back and get hold of silver weapons and and come after them. And that was. Um, Someone was abandoned by their party after they got attacked by the poisonous spine things and had died un, unshriven, came back as a white, and then killed the things that killed him. So he had about six of the uh, spiny rats were now whites. 
and there are a few other people who run into them as well. Um, but they, I promise my players, they're pretty much all gone. There, there's really none of those left down there. Um, there is such a thing as being a little bit overkill, but there is no such thing as a balanced encounter in this. You can anticipate a rough value, but in GURPS it's a little bit hard to stack things up by level. You can have a very high point character who's also not combat focused. Whereas a 50 point character who's only combat is easily the match for a 100, 150 point character who isn't. And something that's 250 points of combat focus is going to be able to lay out things you wouldn't expect to be killed. But thinking back on um, trying to define what a high-skilled character with, with only a handful of hit points looks like, um, take the movie Gladiator. Now, some people would say, well, he was like a 16th level fighter, and he got injured on a couple of hits. But mostly he was able to attack opponents who couldn't resist him until he ended up fighting the Emperor who trained with a, with a group of swordsmen whose only job was to condition him for fighting. So I'd, I'd throw Russell Crowe's character as being something on the edge of 500 points built in GURPS. You know, moderate athletic build, 14 strength, maybe an extra hit point, say 15. Um... 14 or 15 decks, and probably uh, full weapon master, combat reflexes, uh, point of toughness, and um, high pain tolerance. And the typical things in the night package in Dungeon Fantasy. Uh, full weapon mastery would give is like weapon specialization except with everything, which gives you bonus to damage per die and also um, a, a reduction in penalty on multiple attacks. And I give him something like an 18 skill in in a handful of, spe of weapons, the commonly used ones, you know, uh, spear, gladius, um, Axe, everything you see him using in the movie and everything you see the Legionnaires using, bow, all of these, um, decent hand-to-hand -hand combat. And then he's got a whole bunch of secondary abilities. He's got Born Leader, uh, Charisma, he's decent looking. So he's got a bunch of social advantages there. He's got tactics, he's got leadership, he's got public speaking. These all these secondary um, skills that build him up. And... When you picture that he's going to combat against people who are minimally trained, say a 62-point guard off of um, Peter Lorto's henchman book, you know, which is your equivalent to your zero-level man-at-arms, but still better than the flat-out zero-level peasant, um, he's able to wade through their defenses without a problem. Their parries, their skill is only 12, their parry is only 9, He's able to beat through that without a problem. So when he goes and fights six or seven guys who, you know, don't add up to what he would be with one arm and one eye, um, he's able to take them out pretty easily. 
then when he ends up fighting someone who fights dirty and has a skill right about the level of his because he's constantly practicing every day, yeah, it, it gets to be a significant fight. That's really, you know, on the order of what would have happened if Indiana Jones, if Harrison Ford hadn't had the runs when he was filming Indiana Jones and when he got into the fight with the Swordsmaster and didn't shoot him but actually had to fight him, that would have been something on that level. Um, speaking of zero level people, one of the best supplements I had seen for, um, dealing with, um, low point characters, one of my favorite things, um, after the fashion of the way Bill Webb says he ran his games when nobody's hit, got any better than first to third level and the hit points got up a little bit, but not much else did. Um, and you know, everyone's still, you know, 17th head AC2 the whole time, the whole of their careers. Um, you need to pick up if you like that kind of thing, you need to pick up seven with one blow, which is a Kabuki Kaiser um game about low level characters. And you can kind of build them up a little bit here and there, but not a whole hell of a lot. And your most powerful character after extended campaigns might have 10 hit points and plus two to hit and the ability to wear armor effectively. It's a nice feel to it. And the, the way you suggest running it is in the face of normal statted monsters. Keeps the game terrifying and functional low level. And one of the things he did was he took every conceivable rule set for what happens with a zero level character including that bit that optional thing that um gygax did for second edition where you've got um characters who when they first try something discover how good they are at it and might be a natural and fight it like 12th level for for a couple of minutes and then allow themselves to sort of gain a limited proficiency in that. I never knew how good I was until I tried. Turned out I was a natural. Anyway, go out there and enjoy your games.